friends, good morning. Good morning, everyone. I am delighted that you all are here on this summer-like fall morning. Uh, it is good to have you. My name is Ryan Bonfilio. As most of you know, I'm the Stembler Scholar here at First Prez. And I want to welcome you to our first ever, uh, what we're calling a First in Focus Sunday School series. And before we dive into our content this morning, I just want to say a few words about what this series is and why we're doing it. A First in Focus is a new Sunday School series here at First Prez. Uh, they're six weeks long, they come in six week chunks, and they're designed to generate some church-wide conversations around topics of faith and theology that we think matter a lot. Uh, what's different about the First in Focus series is kind of how we structure the six weeks of that series. So in week one today, this is week one, we all, all of our Sunday school classes are gathering uh, here for a lecture, a time to discuss and introduce a topic. And then in weeks two and three, if you're already involved in a Sunday school class here at First Prez, you're going to go ahead and meet in your normal Sunday school class, wherever that is and whatever group that is. And I'll have written uh, for the class a curriculum to guide a conversation in weeks two and three that's going to take up some of the themes I introduced here today and expand and extend them. And you'll have flexibility in how to navigate that content, so you'll still have the look and the feel of your Sunday school class, but you'll still have this, this church-wide conversation. And then in week four, which is November 20th, we'll be back here in this room for another lecture on generally the same topic, but a different aspect of it. And then again in weeks five and six, you'll be back in your individual classes with a written curriculum to guide, guide you in a conversation uh, to extend that theme. Um, there are three reasons for doing this new sort of series. One, we hope this series uh, preserves and deepens the close bonds that all of you have formed in your Sunday school classes. We, we want to honor that. We believe that's an important part of our, what we do on Sunday mornings at First Prez. But the second reason for doing this is that even though we have those, those individual classes that we feel committed to, we think it's valuable to have conversations between classes or from time to time to know that our individual classes are talking about the same sorts of thing. And this series will help facilitate that. And then third, uh, we wanted to have an opportunity for folks who don't normally go to Sunday school, aren't normally part of a Sunday school community, to test out Sunday school for a short period of time. And that's exactly what this six-week six series is meant to do. If you are not involved in a community but wish to be with us these six weeks, we'd be delighted to have you. You're welcome to the lectures in week one and four. And then in the off weeks, in weeks two and three and five and six, I will be leading a first and focus small group. Um, in the bride's room, which is just uh, beyond the chapel at the front of our church. We'll meet there at the normal Sunday school hour. That group is really just for folks who aren't typically involved in a Sunday school class, and I will lead you through those, uh, those discussions as a way of, of kind of giving you a chance to try out Sunday school for the first time. So that's how this works. We won't have to do this, uh, these mechanics in future weeks, but I wanted to say a little bit about how the First in Focus series will work. There are, uh, if you're interested, there are uh, schedules available. If you're interested in what we're doing each of these six weeks, you can find these around the church. I've also left a stack uh, right there. Um, I think that's actually the place where the donations go. Um, I suppose you could leave a donation, but they're not, uh, they're not meant. Uh, these do not cost anything. I've also left just a few sample copies of what a curriculum will look like. So the curriculum I've written for weeks two and three and five and six, I've given you a sample copy of that. Um, there's only a couple dozen over there, but you just want to glance at what we'll be doing in those other weeks. You can check that out. And then the final uh, public service announcement, 
that I'll offer this morning is that um, I'm recommending, if you like this topic, uh, which I'll introduce in a second, I'm actually recommending two books that if you want to go further into the topic and study and read on your own, I'm recommending two books, one by a great Jewish scholar named Abraham Heschel and the other by um, a Christian counselor named Dan Allender. Both of those books are available in the Mustard Seed and for this week we have, they've generously set up a book table just outside here in the pre-funk area. So if you're interested in getting extra materials on the topic of Sabbath, which is what we'll be doing the next six weeks, grab one of those books. They're both, here's the, here's the good news, they're both little and they're both inexpensive. Uh, so try one or both out, they're both, uh, they're both great. Um, questions, comments on the mechanics of what we're doing? Seeing none, uh, let me remind you that there's coffee and food in the back. At any point, feel free to get up and grab that. Uh, without further ado, then, let me pray, and then we'll jump into week one of our actual series that we're doing together. Lord God Almighty, be with us this morning as we think and discuss and learn together. Open our hearts and minds that we might come to love you more, to understand this idea of Sabbath, and to live faithfully as your disciples. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, now that we have those mechanics out of the way, let's begin our series, uh, which is called Practicing Sabbath. Now, I suspect that the concept of Sabbath, that, this, that word, that idea, Sabbath, for most of you is not unfamiliar. It is a part of our spiritual vocabularies, this idea of Sabbath, this idea that, that one in seven days should be a day set apart. A day set apart for rest, for something different. That one day should look a little bit different, or maybe even a lot different, than the other six days. This you already know. And if that were it, we could have coffee, we could have some more ham and cheese biscuits, and we could, we could just relax before the next service. And maybe we should do that in a Sabbath-like spirit. And yet, there's more to the Sabbath than just this one idea. How is the principle of Sabbath developed and deployed in both the Old and the New Testament? What are the implications of that Sabbath keeping for Christians today and for, for discipleship, for spiritual formation, for families, for life in a busy and hectic city? Well, Bruce, I'm glad you asked. Because that's the very purpose of this study, is to talk both about the principle of Sabbath as it's developed in the pages of our scripture, but also, and perhaps even more importantly, the practice of Sabbath. What would, if we actually believed in Sabbath, and maybe that's a point I still need to convince us about, if we actually believed in Sabbath, what would it look like? What would it really look like to practice Sabbath, especially in the midst of the realities of our lives? Well, as a way of getting into this further, I am prone to give quizzes, and some of you who have had me in Sunday school class before know that I give quizzes. Uh, and so we're gonna start with a brief Sabbath quiz. Now, there's no need for worries here or anxieties. Uh, one, because this is an august, uh, an intellectual crowd, and I'm sure you'll all do well on this quiz. But the second reason is it's not graded. There are no points given. Now, Jesus is watching, and he knows. <laughs> even if you don't raise your hand, he knows if you got the right answer. Uh, but I'm not keeping track, so it's just you and Jesus, I, but I don't care. It's not, it's not a problem for me. So here's question, five questions in our quiz, not Scantron. Five questions in our quiz. <coughs> Here's question one. What does the word Sabbath itself mean? Now you know what Sabbath generally is, but what does that word actually mean? Sabbath, Shabbat in Hebrew, what does it mean? Rest. Rest, good, anything else? 
This can be a group quiz. We can collaborate and work together. Holy rest. Holy rest. Ah, oh, so a certain type of rest. So when I'm sleeping at night or when I'm resting watching the football game, that may or may not be Sabbath. <laughs> and we'll dig into that, actually. It actually depends if my team is winning. So, but that's another conversation. Anything else to add to that? These are great. Rest, holy rest. Set aside. Set aside. Yeah, these are all great ideas. Uh, in Hebrew, Shabbat, the verb, simply means to stop, to rest, to cease. Now, it's not always in reference to a particular day. In fact, uh, this word, this verb, Shabbat, to rest, can be used with regard to anything. Right? So, for instance, in Joshua 5.12, the manna stopped, or Shabbated, appearing the day the Israelites first ate of the produce of the land of Canaan. So you can use Shabbat to refer to just stuff, stopping, or resting, or ceasing. It doesn't have to be this, this holy day, although, in many cases, that is, in fact, the implication. In Greek, the term is uh, sabbaton. Um, the H is lost, or I should say, in Greek here, uh, Greek, when they work with the Old Testament, when uh, we create a Greek translation of the Old Testament, Old Testament being in Hebrew, the Greek often translates the Hebrew, obviously, into the corresponding Greek terms. But sometimes, the Greek doesn't already have a term for that concept. So what they do in those instances is they transliterate. They use the words in the Greek language that make the same sound as the word in Hebrew. So there's no equivalent in Greek. So they use these letters, sabaton, to say the same thing that a Hebrew would say, that an Israelite would say. Now you might ask, Wheeler would ask, because he's very observant, well, what happened to the H? Well, there's no H in Greek. So Greek has to do without the H. That's why Shabbat in Hebrew becomes sabaton in, in, uh, in Greek. I said that there's that the word Shabbat can refer to anything ceasing and stopping. But there is a particular reference to Shabbat with the seventh day. And in fact, in Hebrew, it might even be a little bit of a play on words. In Genesis 2-2, we read, God rested, there's that word Shabbat, on the seventh Shabi'i day. Some scholars have wondered if the idea of Shabbat, even the word Shabbat, is derived from the idea of the number seven in Hebrew because etymologically and, and phonologically they sound a lot together, a lot alike. All right, so that's question one. I think we got that question. I feel good about that one. Uh, let's move to question two of our quiz. Now, if you've been to my uh, Theology Matters classes, you'll have an unfair advantage in this question. But as a review, which of the Ten Commandments has to do with the Sabbath? So I'm giving you the fact that one of the Ten Commandments has to do with the Sabbath. So you have a one in ten chance to get this correct. But which of the ten? What number? Is it ten? Is it one? Is it six? What is it? It's none of them. Uh, yeah. Four. Four. Any other? Any others? Do we have a consensus on four? Yeah. I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling actually that the voter turnout here is very, very low. Uh, I, I wonder why uh, that might be. Uh, what is it? Three if you're raised Catholic. That's absolutely right. And I was raised Catholic, and so I know it as three. Now, why? How could this be? These are actually all correct. This is one of those questions where everyone receives full credit. It's because in different traditions, there are different ways of numbering the Ten Commandments. So in the Jewish tradition and in our own Reformed tradition, the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, but for different reasons. In the Jewish tradition, you have the prologue, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's commandment one. Commandments two are... Have no other gods and have no idols. 
Commandment three is the Lord's name in vain, and then commandment four is Sabbath. Well, in the Reformed tradition, it's also four, but for a different reason. They don't number the prologue, I am the Lord your God, but they do separate no other gods and no idols. So no other gods one, no idols two, Lord's name in vain three. And by the way, that's don't use the Lord's name in vain. I'm using shorthand. I'm not encouraging you to use the Lord's name in vain. And then four is the Sabbath. But then in the Catholic tradition, in the Reformed tradition, they group all of these things, the prologue, no other gods and no idols, as one commandment. That means commandment two is the Lord's name in vain, and commandment three is the Sabbath. So it's in there. It's differently numbered. Um, one other piece of, um, of Sabbath Decalogue trivia. Uh, did you know, did you know, uh, that this is true, that the Sabbath commandment, in all of the commandments of the Decalogue, all, of all the ten, the Sabbath commandment is the longest. And the longest by a lot, actually. So uh, here's a, you can't read this, this is a really small text, but that's the whole text of the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus. That's the Sabbath commandment. Now, I'm the sort of person who does this sort of thing. I counted how many words in Hebrew are in the Decalogue, and then I counted how many words in Hebrew are in the Sabbath commandment. 55 of the 161 words are committed to Sabbath. And yet, as we'll see in a moment, it's the one commandment that we pretty much ignore. Now, size doesn't always matter, but it does, it is striking that that much of the Ten Commandments is set aside for the Sabbath. Okay, let's move the, to question three. What is the motivation for Sabbath keeping in the Ten Commandments? That is, why should you keep Sabbath? Both versions of the Ten Commandments, the one in Exodus and the one in Deuteronomy, both give you a reason why, Susan, you should keep the Ten Commandments, but what is it? Why should you do it? Because God told you so. Okay, but, but beyond that, is there, there's, there's actually other reasons why. God rested. Ah, so, it, so something about what God did. God rested on the Sabbath. That's from the creation story. And so you too should also rest. In other words, it's a way that we are in the image of God. We see a God who rests in the pages of Genesis. And so therefore, as God's image, we are to rest by keeping Sabbath. That's great. What, it, but, but it's not as simple as that. Does anyone want to fill out that answer? That's full credit, but there is also another answer. It's a time dedicated to God. It's a time dedicated to God, that's right. Yeah. Interest oh, go ahead. You were slaves in Egypt. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. What's very interesting of all the commandments in the Ten Commandments, the one on Sabbath differs most from the version we find in the book of Exodus and the version we find in the book of Deuteronomy. And the place it differs the most is in the motivation. In the Exodus version of the Decalogue, um, why do we keep Sabbath? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it, but rested on the seventh. So in, in, the, in this version, we rest because God rests. But in the Deuteronomy version, there's no reference to creation. There's no reference to God resting. But what we encounter here is the story of the Exodus. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Why do you rest in the Deuteronomy version? Because God delivered you from slavery to work. We were not meant to always work is the logic of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, we're going to explore both of these things in much more detail in week two of the study. Uh, and you'll, so you'll be able to revisit these. I'm just trying to, uh, to whet your appetite a little bit. Uh, for these different ideas. Now, question four. We're doing quite well in this quiz, I think. Uh, question four in our quiz. 
What does Sabbath keeping entail? So you're committed to Sabbath, you believe it, you're going to do it. What does it mean to commit Sabbath? Commit Sabbath, hmm. Uh, actually, maybe that works. Maybe, maybe that works. Uh, how do we commit Sabbath in our lives? Susan. Rest and reflection. Great, I love that. What else? Wheeler. My father, it meant not mowing alone on uh -huh. Sunday and not fishing in our lake on Sunday. Okay, so there's certain activities that we don't do. Times have changed. Times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> what, anything else? What does Sabbath committing look like? Break your routine. What is it? Break your routine. Break your routine. So that day is to look different than other days. I love that. What is it? Take a nap. Yeah, take a nap. Be with family. Be with family. We have opportunity to go to worship. Go to worship, right? Um, that, that could be a big part of it. Now, we'll actually explore that idea uh, further, but, but that's absolutely right. Um, in the Jewish tradition, there are actually 39 categories of things that you ought not to do on the Sabbath. Now, Wheeler, those things do not include stuff like fishing in the lake. Uh, although maybe that was the spirit of the, of the Jewish tradition. But 39 categories of things, uh, including sowing, plowing, reaping, threshing, winnowing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, hunting, building, hammering, transporting goods. I'm actually a really good uh, Jewish person because I don't do any of these things on the Sabbath. Now, the fact is I don't do any of these things on the other days. Uh, so I, apparently I keep Sabbath all the time in the Jewish tradition. All of these things in the Jewish tradition are said to be activities that change one's environment. Activities that change one's environment. So in the Jewish tradition, at least as described here, uh, the Sabbath is about what you don't do. What you don't do. You don't do this stuff on the Sabbath. That means Sabbath keeping. But actually, Sabbath has always meant something a little bit more than just not doing stuff. And this is actually clear already in the story of Genesis 2, 1 through 2. Um, here we, we hear about God keeping Sabbath. So... Uh, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Now this is the sixth day. All the heavens and the earth were finished on the sixth day. Uh, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day. Does anyone see anything weird about that second part of the verse? Yeah, what did God do on the seventh day? Did God finish his work on the seventh day? Or did he rest? Or maybe he finished his work in the first half of the day, then he kicked off the afternoon and caught a nap in the second half of the day. Right? This has puzzled interpreters throughout the ages. Well, what did God do in the seventh? Did he rest or, or did, he, did he work? Well, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this bothered the translators so much that they actually made an adjustment to the wording. Look what they did. They said, and on the sixth day, hektos, the Greek word for six, you know, from hexagon. And on the sixth day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day. So in the Greek version, which Jesus and the disciples would have read, by the way, there is no contradiction here. God finishes work on the sixth day and then he rests all of the seventh day. Now that's not the only way to see it. The, the ancient rabbis had another way of solving this potential paradox. Here's what they said. They said, well, God did do both on, on, on the seventh day. God both rested and created. But the rabbi said, well, what did God create on the seventh day? They said, well, God created this Hebrew word, manuah. And manuah in Hebrew means tranquility, peace, serenity, delight. So God created something according to the rabbis. But what he created was the idea of rest. 
the idea of peace. So they kind of solve it differently, right? Because now God can create, but God can also rest. Uh, you actually know this word, and we're going to say much more about what it means to create manua, or peaceful uh, conditions on the Sabbath. We'll talk much more about that in the second half of the course. Um, but you actually know this word from Psalm 23, the opening lines of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Well, in Hebrew, they are manua waters. I, I would translate it as Sabbath waters. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, uh, he lets me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside Sabbath waters. Waters of rest and renewal is the idea at least from the rabbis. Okay, one more point in our quiz. When is Sabbath supposed to happen? This is the million dollar question. When is it supposed to happen? Rush. Sundown on the day before. <laughs> right, so in the Jewish tradition that is Friday. Friday. Yep, in the Jewish tradition when the sun, although there's various interpretations of this, but in the Jewish tradition generally, when the sun first hits the horizon on Friday evening, Sabbath begins. And then Sabbath ends when the sun first hits the horizon on Saturday evening. Now today is Sunday, I'm pretty sure, although sometimes with a toddler my days blur and blend together. Um, so why Sunday? Is this our Sabbath? Or did we miss it? Did I miss my Sabbath yesterday? What happens to Sabbath in the Christian circles? <laughs> well, in a lot of cases, it's transferred to Sunday, right? Although not always. In the first 321 years of Christianity, Christians kept Sabbath on, as Rush describes, Saturday, the seventh day, which is Saturday. And they worshiped the Lord on the Sunday because that was the day of the resurrection. So there were two days in early Christianity. There was a day of rest, that was a Sabbath, and then there was a day of worship. That was later. It was not until Constantine in 321 that those two days got blended together and the Sabbath was moved to Sunday, the, the day of the resurrection. Now, there are still some Christian traditions um, that think otherwise. Of course, the Seventh-day Adventist church, they practice Sabbath and worship on Saturday, not Sunday. Um, so they're out having brunch this morning, uh, presumably. Um, but there's other dimensions of this question, too. Like, some Christians might wonder, does it have to be a day? Or what if I, as a minister, work on Sundays? Where does my Sabbath go? Or do church workers just not get a Sabbath? Well, that might be true. But we still could push back on that and say, well, when does, does it have, Sabbath have to be Saturday or Sunday? Could it be Monday? Could it be Friday? Others have wondered, couldn't we just have Sabbath moments throughout the week? You know, like, a, like 15 minutes of Sabbath on a Tuesday afternoon or maybe a two hours of Sabbath on Friday afternoon. Does that count? Could Sabbath keeping come in these little bits and blocks throughout the week, or does it have to be a day? Or we might wonder, is Sabbath just a metaphor? Is the point that we just live Sabbath-y at certain parts of our life? Forget the day, forget the Sunday, the Saturday thing. Just be Sabbath-y sort of people. Is that it? Well, these are exactly the sorts of questions uh, that we want to wrestle with in, the, in this series, particularly in the second half of the series, when we talk about practicing Sabbath, we'll, we'll dig deeply into this and we'll think about well, what, what day does it have to be? Does, should it be a day? And what does it look like if you have a family with kids or you've got work? What does it even look like to begin to keep Sabbath here in this busy city uh, of ours? So I think generally, great job on the quiz. We need to unpack some of this stuff a lot further and that's gonna be the task of the rest of the weeks of this series. Um, I wanna say just a little bit more uh, this morning 
uh, about the, the Christian practice of Sabbath. But in order to get there, I actually want to get you all talking um, about Sabbath. And, and, and if you've been in my classes before, you know I do this often with a little exercise that I call TAPS. TAPS is, oops, where'd it go? Where is my TAPS? It's here somewhere. It's the problem, I got out of order. Uh, wait, 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 is that it, is that it? There it is, sorry, out of order. Um, so TAPS is an acronym, and I stole this from a teacher, but I've been told that good teachers steal things without crediting sources all the time, and so I'm going to try to continue in that tradition. Uh, TAPS is an acronym uh, meaning talking aloud, that is, you're permitted to talk during this portion of the program, talking aloud, partner sharing. And here's what I want you to do. Turn to someone sitting next to you. Um, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone else. If it's your spouse, maybe you want to turn to someone else, depending on how things are going this morning. Uh, and here's the question I want you to wrestle with, or I would just like you to share about. In what ways have you experimented with Sabbath keeping? What does it look like? And maybe your answer is, I haven't. Or it's been a long time. Or here's my interpretation of what uh, Sabbath keeping or, or living Sabbathly looks like. So just start talking about that. And if you want, as a bonus question, you might also throw in, has it been meaningful to you? That is, is it something you just do because you think you should as a Christian? Or, 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 or has, however you've experimented with Sabbath keeping, is it in any way been helpful to you? Helpful to your discipleship? Helpful to your faith? Helpful to your spiritual formation? So just take about two or three minutes together, talk, and then we'll come back together and share some of these ideas.
Okay, friends, let's come back together. All right, what I would, I would, I'm wondering if, uh, I, I hope these conversations were helpful. I realize they, they could probably extend for much longer than this. Uh, I wonder if someone might want to share ways that you've experimented with Sabbath keeping. And then if you want, whether or not it's actually been meaningful for you. Anyone want to share? Bruce? When I was uh, moved to New York, I, I went to Dr. Peel's church. Uh-huh, yeah. And when he retired, I found the, the next version to be unappealing. And that's a pun. <laughs> and uh, so I, I then moved to a Thursday night meditation, okay. which was very ecumenical and led to some wonderful experiences. So that became a Sabbath for a number of years. Okay. Uh, so it was... So it's just a different version, sure. different flavor. So an opportunity to meditate, though not on a, on, a, on a Saturday or Sunday, at a different point a in the week. Yeah, great. Anyone else want to share? How have you experimented with Sabbath? Yeah. We've never called this Sabbath, but we try to have our kids do their homework for the coming week on Friday and Saturday, so that Sunday is not a day of stress and thinking about <laughs> For you guys, for yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. No, yeah, that's a big part of it. And so in that interaction with kids, too, how do we get our schedules? We want to keep Sabbath. How do we sync that up with our family demands and our kids and what's going on for them? What bothers us is how the kids' sports have kind of morphed into Sunday morning. Yeah. It's like there's so many people, we're just sure. talking maybe under 40, they don't even consider going to church. They don't think anything of it. Sure. And it's really bad, you know, we call sure. it you know, even soccer. Yeah. Well, I'm going to return to that one in a, in a, in a second. Yeah. Any other ways you all experiment with Sabbath? Yeah. Yeah. So hitting the reset button, being in nature. So there's actually places can be associated with Sabbath keeping, uh, or might help. Maybe the nature helps instill Sabbath-like mindset. I like that. Let's take one or two more. Yeah. I think Sabbath can mean different things to different people at different points in their lives. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, like right now. We have two small children. We can't lay on the sofa or go, you know, read a book in the afternoon or meditate. But it means maybe slowing down for us and spending more time, you know, as a nuclear family sure. and having like a Sunday dinner or you know things like that. And so experiencing Sabbath in, in different ways throughout mm-hmm. our lives. I look really forward to being able to, you know, one day read a book on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, this Aaron is great. This is the precisely the problem I find with Sabbath keeping is that, um, at least in my experience of parenting, parenting is, is a 24-7 sort of operation. And, and it's hard to take it, and, and it often feels like work, right? I mean, or maybe this is just me. But, but parenting feels like a lot of work. And so I might be inclined to want to take a day off from that, but that doesn't actually work, at least not in my household, it doesn't work. Like, okay, I'm not gonna change diapers today, Jamie. I'm just, I'm gonna take a Sabbath from that. Well, uh, we, uh, that would result in a conversation. Uh, that would not be very Sabbath-like. Um, so, so there are these, right, so there's, there's practical questions about what does that look like uh, when parenting feels like work and we don't have a break to it, oftentimes. Yeah? Um, I think sometimes just getting here mm-hmm. and I love being here for me, but also it's really nice to drop my children off yes. for a couple hours. Yeah. And I think that's a nice little break where I get to just focus on yeah, that, that's right. I mean, so just having a chance uh, to maybe not have the kids around, have them in, in children's church or, or whatever. Um, but sometimes I find at least it's getting out the door Sunday morning 
with the kids that can feel like a lot of work. In fact, Jamie and I, uh, Jamie's my wife, by the way, Jamie and I, um, we, we, with, with, uh, we, we really think Sunday morning is the hardest time in our week, by far. It's the hardest time. Now, that's in part because we're a dual pastor family, um, and, and that has its own challenges. But still, Sunday is hard. It's just hard. I mean, I, wanna, it, I try to experience Sunday joyfully, and I think I get there at least every two out of three weeks. Um, but getting out the door is super hard, and it feels like a lot of work. And so if Sabbath is about rest and not doing work, and it takes work to get to church, therefore, fill in those blanks. So this is where we need to tease apart what exactly is the relationship of worship uh, to Sabbath. What do we do when our experience of church or when we have to do work at church? Maybe not just because you're a minister, but because you lead a Sunday school class or you set up breakfast here at 6.45 or earlier. That feels like work and that doesn't feel like Sabbath. Can we put those two together? These are the sorts of things I wanna, I wanna keep addressing and thank you all for sharing. Um, it kind of brings me to the central premise of this whole course. And here, because I'm out of, I'm out of uh, order, I need to go back a second. Here it is. He, here's my, you basically can leave after this. I mean, this is the punchline for the whole course. This is, this is the thing that drives me to want to wanna develop this course. This is the thing that personally makes me think I need to think about Sabbath. Uh, and if teaching it makes me do it, then that's what I need to do. Um, but here's my central premise of the course that the Sabbath is by far the most important, most desperately needed, least followed principle in all of scripture. And in fact, I think that, the, that, that this premise names what I believe to be one of the most perplexing and persistent paradoxes in all of Christianity. That there is a commandment that's incredibly important in scripture that we all desperately need and we don't bat an eye about not following it. This is not a way of pointing fingers, please. Uh, I am the most need of, of kind of a revision of my Sabbath life. Uh, let me just name that. Uh, sometimes you teach things because you feel like you have a good handle on it and have something to say. And other times you teach things because you know you don't have a handle on it and you don't know what to say. And so the teaching is just trying to get you there in some ways. Um, but the problem with Sabbath keeping, I think, uh, or the problem with us in Sabbath keeping is not just that we don't keep it. There's a lot of the Ten Commandments that we pretty regularly don't keep but it bothers us. My hunch is that when we don't keep Sabbath, it doesn't bother us. There's no perception that like, this is doing something wrong. If I were to use the Lord's name in vain, I might do it, but I would have, you know, have a twinge of conscience in it. But I don't think we have that twinge when it comes to not following Sabbath. In fact, I think the Sabbath is rarely talked about in sermons. It rarely comes up in Sunday schools. In fact, there are many wonderful books on spiritual formation that you can buy, even in the mustard seed. And in my experience, almost none of them, they talk about fasting, they talk about prayer, they talk about meditation, they talk about service, they talk about a lot of things. In my experience, those books almost never discuss Sabbath. The paradox, I think, functions at two levels. The first part of the paradox is that the Sabbath is undeniably important in Scripture. We've already seen that it's one of the Ten Commandments, so that should alert us to the fact that it's important, because it made the top ten list, if that's in fact the top ten list, that's debatable. But if it made the top ten list of the Ten Commandments, that should be important. We've already seen that it takes up a third of the space of all the Ten Commandments, so the author gives it a lot of attention, even within the ten, so that should alert us to its importance. But also beyond that, 
In the rest of the Old Testament, in the prophets, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, the Sabbath is arguably the commandment commented upon the most outside of the Decalogue. So not only is it there, not only does it take up a lot of space, but later writers of the Old Testament spend a lot of time talking about the Sabbath, arguably more than any other commandment except the one on idolatry. And, that, and even then, I think it's, it's close. Karl Barth, because you, know, you need a Karl Barth quote, um, <laughs> Karl Barth, Barth says that the Sabbath commandment explains all of the other commandments. That is, it's the Decalogue in miniature the Sabbath commandment. And I'll unpack why that is in future weeks. Um, now, there's this common misconception, too, that Jesus abolishes the, the, the Sabbath. There's this understanding that, well, yeah, it's important in the Old Testament, but that's Old Testament stuff. And that's not that important, so the logic goes. But Jesus, Jesus abolishes the, the Sabbath. He doesn't, he doesn't think it's that important. In fact, I found this wonderful cartoon. Uh, this is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, I broke the Sabbath in John 5, 1 through 15 and 18 because it's a burden and a curse. Said no Messiah ever. That is, Jesus doesn't say this. We think Jesus says this. We think Jesus does this, but he doesn't. In fact, in the New Testament, the Sabbath is always and everywhere presumed. The disciples did it. Jesus did it. Now, there are some occasions where Jesus uh, spars with the Pharisees, but what it looks like to keep the Sabbath, and we'll explore that actually in week three when we talk about Sabbath in the New Testament. But at no point does Jesus say, well... It's not that important. In fact, what Jesus out Pharisees the Pharisees, as we'll see. He actually says, you're not keeping it stringently enough. So if anything, Jesus ups the ante for Sabbath keeping. So all of this is to say, uh, again, this, this is not about guilt. It's just to point out the, the fact that, biblically speaking, Sabbath is everywhere. Biblically speaking, it might be one of the most important and central concepts in all of biblical theology. Yet despite all of this, I think that the church today persists in seeing Sabbath as something that's outdated, if not altogether optional. In fact, I think that we tend to see Sabbath keeping much like we see keeping kosher. Yeah, it's something the Israelites did, sure. And yes, it's something modern Jewish people do today. That's great. But we're Christians. We're not ancient Israelites. We're not modern Jews, so therefore we don't need to do it. This is some vestige of some old time and place, some funny law that doesn't work for us, that doesn't apply to us. That's how we see Sabbath today. This is my, this is my hypothesis, that we see Sabbath keeping like keeping kosher. And I want to suggest, if you can't tell that, that where I'm headed, that it's totally different. The Sabbath keeping is something core, at least as described in the Bible and as commented upon by theologians throughout the centuries, is something core to Christian identity um, and is not uh, this kind of like cultural vestige that we can pass off. But I'll unpack more of that in the future. The second, there's a second aspect of the paradox. So the first paradox is that it's really important, but we don't follow it. The second paradox is that it's really needed and we don't follow it. This is the more perplexing part for me. Close your eyes for a moment. Think, of it for, think back to a time in your daily life. Or think, think about this past week in your daily life. Your responsibilities, your to-do lists, the demands you face in your jobs, your responsibilities at home, shuttling the kids to and fro, maybe your work at the church. When in this past week was there time for rest? 
And not just kind of kick your shoes off rest, but, but times you really felt restful or rested in your spirit. Can you remember that time? Do you have to go back beyond this week? How far back? <coughs> the various demands and pressures of life push us to, to the limits of what we can handle. Emails pile up 24-7. There's never-ending lists of things to do around the house. The commute, the commute, the shuttling the kids from school to the nanny to soccer and back again. More often than we, I think, are ready to admit, we feel exhausted and depleted. We wonder if we can hold it all together. We think something has to change. Open your eyes. Have you ever had that conversation with your spouse? Have you ever felt that way about your work week? Like, how much can I do? Is this really sustainable? Can I get home from the office this late? Always? Every week? Week after week? Have you had those conversations? Have you ever wondered if it all really holds together or if it was really meant to be this way in the first place? Maybe it's just my family who has those conversations regularly. In Greek mythology, there's a story of a, of a figure named Sisyphus. Now, Sisyphus was the king of Corinth, and he was kind of a nasty man. He, he was greedy and deceitful and killed travelers and guests. And eventually, the gods got fed up with Sisyphus, so they wanted to punish him. And so they thought of a cruel way of punishing, as Greek gods sometimes do. And the punishment for Sisyphus is that his task each day was to roll this huge boulder up a giant hill. And it would take him all day to do it because the boulder was massive and the hill was large. And he would get it up to the top of the hill. Do you all know how this ends? And then the boulder would roll back down the hill that night. And the next day, Sisyphus would be less, left with the same task, to roll that boulder back up the hill. I wonder if some of, some of us don't feel like Sisyphus, except that our boulders aren't boulders. They're emails and to-do lists, and the stuff at work, or it's diapers, or it's the commute. These other things that no matter how hard and how well we finish them in a given day, they're there for us again the next day. It's amazing how email works that way. I feel so good when I clean my inbox out, and then by the time I wake up, they're back in there. Uh, it, it, it's, it, there is a relentlessness to our work in today's society, perhaps more than ever. I'm not sure, but I think perhaps more than ever. We bide our time for vacation, maybe even for retirement. But then we go on vacation, sometimes with our kids, and we realize that wasn't all that restful. It's like sometimes we need a vacation from our vacation, especially if it's with the kids. Or we bide our time to retirement and we get there and then we realize, oh man, I'm busier in retirement than I was in work. Some of you know that if you're at that stage. Yet, despite all of this, the most common response, when I, uh, response I get from Christians when I talk about the Sabbath goes something like this. Keep the Sabbath? I would love to, but I simply don't have the time. This is the crux of the paradox. We need it, we want it, we long for it, and yet we feel like we don't have the time to keep it. It's as if one were to say to Sisyphus, tonight when you roll the boulder up, when you get done rolling the boulder up the hill, build a fence so it won't roll back down. And Sisyphus says, nah, I don't got the time. I'll roll it back up tomorrow. 
Now, this doesn't mean that all Christians don't keep Sabbath. And it doesn't mean that, that, that we aren't well-meaning in this concept. It doesn't mean that we don't long to keep Sabbath or even experiment with it. I think many Christians do experiment with Sabbath and do so very sincerely. But I think in Christianity, I'm going to get you out of here on this, um, gets distorted. Sabbath keeping gets distorted in one of three ways in Christian circles. And I'll just name this very briefly. First, I think we tend to ruin Sabbath with an overly rigid concern for rules and regulations. Now we tend to blame this on the Jewish tradition about these 39 categories, but Christianity has its own version of that, especially in the 19th and 20th century. It was called the Blue Laws, laws that said that you can't play cards, you can't buy alcohol, you can't dance, you can't fish, you can't smoke, so on and so forth. Sabbath was defined strictly in terms of what not to do, and typically they were fun things, or things that, 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 that someone enjoyed doing. Right? And so we have this mentality that Sabbath should be a day of, of, of duty and, 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 and a lack of enjoyment. And because of that, Sabbath keeping in that vein tends to feel like every other day. It's work. It's drudgery. So that's the one distortion. Well-meaning, but it's a distortion because we ruin it with an overly rigid concern for rules. The second way I think Sabbath gets uh, is a problem is that Sabbath becomes a synonym for going to church. Now, hear me, I think Sabbath keeping involves going to church. Uh, I'm going to do these uh, lessons on Sunday morning, so there's, there's this sort of a self-interest in making that point. But there's complications here, as we already talked about. Sometimes going to church can feel like work, because we have to get the kids out the door. Sometimes what we do at church, leading a study, serving breakfast, doing whatever it is, that can feel like work. So if Sabbath is church, and church can feel like work, then do we not go to church or do we not keep Sabbath? Right? It's a paradox. It's a problem. Uh, it, it's not unresolvable, I think, but it's certainly a, a, a complexity when we reduce the idea of Sabbath keeping just to go to church. And we're going to try to explore this a little bit more deeply in future weeks. What does it look like to keep the Sabbath holy in addition to going to church? Does our Sabbath uh, commitment end? At uh, 12, I don't know, I was, I was going to say 11.59, but let's be realistic. At, at 12.14 on a Sunday morning, is that when Sabbath ends? What's about the rest of the day? How do we keep that day holy beyond the going to church? That's a real question for us to ask. And then finally, the third distortion, I'm gonna, uh, you'll do that next week. Third distortion is that the Sabbath becomes a second Saturday. It's a day to catch up on errands. You mow the lawn, you go to the grocery store, you do a bunch of stuff that's supposed to make the rest of the week easier. Now granted, you're not going to the office, but you're doing a lot of work. And this is where the practice thing comes in, of, of getting kids to soccer practice and whatnot. I mean, because sports have expanded, then now there's just two days available in the weekend for games and practices. It used to be Saturday, but now it's just Saturday, and now it's Saturday and Sunday. So is the Sabbath supposed to just be a second Saturday? What do we do with that? Is it ultimately restful when it's that way? Again, these are the questions that we wish to ask. Uh, ask. Um, oh, by the way, I included this picture because you know, we can do also restful things on, on, Saturday, on Sunday, like yoga. And I thought if I could get my kid to mow the lawn, this would solve all of my Sabbath problems because I wouldn't be taking care of him and I wouldn't be mowing the lawn. And we would be this double bonus of Sabbath keeping. So this is my dream right here. Uh, may, they, may that day come soon. Um, so these are the sorts of questions we're going to answer. In the next three weeks, we'll talk about the principle of Sabbath. Today, we talk about the Sabbath paradox. 
Next week, you'll explore Sabbath in the Old Testament uh, and this concept of building a sanctuary in time. In week three, we'll talk about Sabbath in the New Testament, the work of worship, and the grace of Sunday. And then weeks four through six, we'll shift our focus to the practice of Sabbath. Uh, in uh, week four, Sabbath, uh, excuse me, I didn't update this. This is the Sabbath alternative from anxiety to abundance. Sorry, it's correct on your handout, but wrong on my uh, screen. Week five, Sabbath in the suburbs, rituals and rhythms for busy families. And then finally, entering God's rest, silence, stillness, and sensual holiness. These are the sorts of conversations that I hope to have together over the next six, six weeks, and I hope that you all will join me for that. Thanks for being here this morning.